Let us pray. O God of grace, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. The sun was just beginning to peek over the horizon. It was 5 a.m., and we were already above 10,000 feet, bouncing up this rocky mountain road in my buddy Brian's Jeep. We're going to park the Jeep at the end of the road and then hike all the way to the top of Mount Princeton. At 14,200 feet, one of Colorado's breathtaking 14ers. Now, this was the summer after my junior year in college when I had a profound conversion experience and came to identify as a believing Christian. And I had just met Brian a few weeks before at the Hot Springs Resort in South Central Colorado, where we both had a summer job, probably the best summer job I ever had. He must have been a little more awake than I was in the Jeep that morning, because he was asking me some big questions. So you believe in God then? Yeah? I used to, he said, but I don't know, man. There's so much crazy stuff in the world. It's hard to believe that God would let that happen. What do you think about that? I don't know, I said, but I just try to pray about it. You think God hears you? I took a sip of water and looked at the ribbon of light that was growing over the valley in the distance. Yeah, I said in a tone that I hope showed that I appreciated this question, but it was far too early for theological debate. The disciples were increasingly confused. They were on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus kept telling them that he was going to be betrayed and killed, but they couldn't seem to fit that into their minds. They had traveled by foot from town to town for three years, without possessions, following this man who they believed was the Messiah. They had seen amazing deeds. They had been given the power themselves to heal, and they had daily learned about the things of God from Jesus. At this point in the journey, Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of God are pouring out of him, like a floodgate is broken open. The kingdom of God is among you, he says. He's just told them this. And what he knows, but they don't realize, is that he is about to leave them. So he's trying to prepare them. He tells them this parable of the widow and the unjust judge, which, as scripture says, is about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. This widow is very persistent. She believes in her cause that someone is treating her unjustly, and she deserves to have justice. It took a lot of boldness for her to do this. Now, we can imagine that a widow in those days was in a very vulnerable position. In a highly patriarchal society like we find in antiquity, a woman had little or no rights to speak of. Without the income and protection of a man, a widow was particularly vulnerable to fall through the cracks, to lose everything, or to be taken advantage of. Now, if the disciples did not identify with this widow upon first hearing this parable, they would soon. 
Jesus was about to be taken from them. They were going to encounter opposition and persecution and injustice. They were going to be made vulnerable before the wicked powers of the world. But take heart, Jesus is telling them ahead of time. And as he often does, Jesus compares God to a sinful human being to illustrate how good God is. If you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give good gifts to you? If this judge who is unjust would finally grant justice to this widow, how much more will God grant justice to those who cry out to him day and night? So take heart. Be persistent like the widow in your prayers and do not lose hope. For the kingdom of God is among you. We were inching up toward the end of the road. We could see it in the distance. Brian was telling me again how great the view is from the top of this mountain. So I was getting pretty excited. You can see four states from up there, man. Then suddenly Brian stopped. His Jeep had smoke billowing out from under the hood. Before I knew it, he was out under the hood, saying all types of things I won't repeat in the sermon, and telling me he was going to have to hike back down the valley to, to get some help for his car. And he looked at me and said, you should still hike up there, man, it's worth it. And off he went. So, I looked up at the side of this mammoth mountain I was perched on the side of. Well, I didn't get up early for nothing. So I walked up to the end of the road to scout out the trail. Of course, Brian was the one who knew where the trail was, and he was gone. (laughs) At the end of the road, I didn't see the trail, but there was this huge boulder field in front of me that went up to this bulge, and I figured, oh, I'll just climb up to the top of this and see what I can see. So as I'm working my way up to the top of this uh, bulge, this mountain goat is staring at me a little ways off, curiously. (laughs) So finally, I get to the top of this bulge. I'm already out of breath. And I could see that I was uh, on the lower edge of this massive ridge that arched up to the top of the mountain. Suddenly I felt dizzy with the size of it all. Am I really going to do this, I thought? Brian's question was rolling around in my head. Does God really answer prayers? I hope so, I thought to myself. Today I might need it. They had been before the unjust judge again and again, pleading their case. And again and again, they had been denied. From the times that the first African slaves were brought over 15 generations before, the cries for justice had been denied. In the Dred Scott case, a slave sued for his freedom because he was living in free territory. The Supreme Court denied him all the way up to Martin Luther King's time. You can see images of Bull Connor, the infamous commissioner of Birmingham, who was willing to stick fire hoses and attack dogs on peaceful protesters. We hear about Henry Loeb and the Memphis City Fathers. Henry Loeb was the mayor of Memphis when the sanitation workers strike. And though two people had just died on the job and they were striking for uh, better, safer working conditions, He refused to even negotiate with them. Again and again, the African-American community had taken their plea before an unjust judge and been denied. 
we have to imagine that the temptation to despair was ever lurking. It haunts the Negro's soul, as MLK wrote in his famous letter from Birmingham jail. As in so many past experiences, he writes, our hopes had been blasted, and the shadow of deep, disappoint, deep disappointment settled upon us. But the remarkable thing was, they kept marching. Though they suffered major setbacks and dangers on all sides, they would not stop moving forward on the long, steep road up to the mountaintop of freedom. In Birmingham, in Memphis, in Selma, Washington, D.C., in Chicago. You know the story. The nonviolent movement to gain civil rights and end discrimination was a story of extraordinary courage and persistence. They had been beaten and imprisoned. They had braved attack dogs and fire hoses. Some of them had been killed. The resistance to the civil rights movement by the white power structure was massive and sometimes violent. Yet through their persistence, they were beginning to wear down the resistance. The unjust judge of white power was now being forced to consider the cost of continued opposition and oppression. The creative tactic of nonviolent demonstration was revealing for the whole country to see both the brutality of segregation and racism and the dignity of the African Americans in their cause. By 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King had led a series of successful campaigns in cities from the South to the North. Despite imprisonment and frequent threats to his life, he seemed to embody the resilience and the faith that propelled all of them forward. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't really matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. An electric energy filled the room. The gathered assembly was hanging on his every word. It was April 3rd, 1968. Martin Luther King was preaching to a community in Memphis, Tennessee, where 1,100 of those city sanitation workers had been on strike since two of them had been killed on the job. Martin Luther King had been asked once again to come and to lend his support and his leadership. It was a dangerous time for him to come back to Memphis, where he had led a march two months earlier. There were numerous threats on his life coming from Memphis. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. The next day, Martin Luther King was assassinated. But his vision of a better society, of the promised land, his vision of the kingdom of God breaking in upon our world did not die. It ripples out to our day now as we continue to struggle to make it happen. His vision inspired thousands and thousands of people. His dream, his vision of the kingdom of God in which all people are treated equally. The inherent worth and dignity of all people is affirmed. The kingdom in Martin Luther King's soul and his faith and in the faith of those that he led, the kingdom was real. The victory of God over the powers of injustice and sin had already been won. 
The task was to bring this victory into the world, to manifest the kingdom here among us. Your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The spirit of the Lord's Prayer was at the heart of the civil rights movement. How did they muster the courage and the persistence to keep going, to keep coming back before the unjust judge again and again, despite threats to their very lives? It was the spirit of the prayer, it was the Holy Spirit that pushed them onward. The persistent prayer that happened in the civil rights movement changed our world. Though there's still much work to do, it significantly changed our society for the better. There's no doubt about that. It made it possible for someone like myself and my partner, who's from Nigeria, to be together without harassment. Persistent prayer does change our world. And it changes ourselves. Now, we may live in a different context now, but prayer is as important now as it has ever been. You all know that the injustice in our world can be staggering. We live in a broken-hearted world. As a community, every week we pray. We pray for each other. We pray for people near and far who are in need. We pray for our leaders. The message for us this morning is to carry this prayer into our lives, into every day and even every moment of our lives. Now, whatever our prayer practice is now, this is great. But our challenge is to enlarge upon that. If you don't pray every day, you can begin to pray every day. Say the Lord's Prayer. You can use the Book of Prayer. You can come up with your own prayers, whatever is on your heart. Whatever it is, we're called to push, push further into our practice. You know, the amazing thing about walking with Christ is no matter how deep we go, no matter how far we think we've come, we can go much further. In our prayers, indeed our prayers bring the kingdom of God into our world. When we pray, the Holy Spirit fills us with God's grace. When we pray for peace in the world, the Holy Spirit puts a peace in our hearts, which is the first installment for that which we pray for. When we pray for good health, the Holy Spirit puts a spirit of life in us, which is the first installment for that we pray for. And as the kingdom grows in us through fellowship, through prayer, through the taking of communion, it gives birth to the fruits of kindness and compassion and patience and action. That more and more the law may be written in our hearts, that the kingdom may dwell within us, kingdom of God is among you. Now, in many ways, we may feel like the widow at times, confronting the losses of the world, tragedies in our own lives and people, people's lives that we know. This is unfortunately a natural part of our lives. No matter what our losses are, the Holy Spirit remains with us. Indeed, not only in our own lives, but in our connection to the larger body, the larger world, people all over the world are crying out for God. And in the body of Christ and in the body of humanity, their cries become our cries. Their prayers become our prayers. And we make appeal to the Lord, not only to grant us justice before the unjust powers in the world, but before the spiritual forces that hold us back. 
the forces of wickedness in high and low places, as Paul says in the apostle, in the epistles, excuse me. So as we lean into this practice, know that you are bringing the kingdom of God into our midst. Take heart, no matter what it might look like in the, uh, the morning paper, no matter how broken the world actually is. Let us lean into this practice. And the nonviolent campaign that Martin Luther King was a leader of is very instructive for us. He writes, In any nonviolent campaign, there are four basic steps. Collection of the facts to determine whether injustices exist. Negotiation to try to bring about a solution. Then when that doesn't work, self-purification and direct action. As we increase our prayer life, one thing we can do is this first step, this collection of the facts to determine whether injustices exist. Of course, this can kind of be an overwhelming task. It can seem like a disheartening thing to do. But we are called to do this. We are called to cry out for others and with others. Let us continue to look out in the world and to see what's wrong. To compare the world to the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God brings our sinfulness into a sharp relief. And in that, we also examine ourselves. Some of our conclusions may be challenging. I've realized that at times, I've been not only like the widow, but also like the unjust judge. His heart has been hardened to the suffering in the world. Our practice of confession reminds us that we fool ourselves if we think we don't participate in the sinfulness of humanity. And as we look out at what's happening in the world, in so many ways it can be overwhelming. I think about the oil companies, the oil spill. I learned that the amount of oil we think is spilled in the Gulf of Mexico, more than that is spilled every year by shell oil off the, off the coast of Nigeria. This is something that I never knew about. The cries of those people, the quality of their life has been destroyed in so many ways. The cries of those people is ignored by most. They're not even really heard. So I question myself, where should I buy gas from? These are the types of questions we have to ask ourselves, but they're very challenging. At times it seems there's no escape from the structures of injustice. Let us pray all the more then. Let us live into this challenge to live out our prayers as Martin Luther King and those thousands of people who followed him did. Not only to pray for the kingdom of God, but to live that prayer, to actively take part in bringing it about. And through prayer, the laws of God may ever be written on our hearts more and more. We know if Martin Luther King had to go through a process of self-purification, Martin Luther King, who was calling on God and invoking the kingdom against those who were horribly unjust, but who didn't, didn't think that it was right to just stop there, to just point the finger at others, even though he was on the right side of that cause, he said self-purification is required. Can we take blows and not retaliate? Can we dig deeper and go deeper into the spirit and be at peace within ourselves even when the world shows us hate? Now, if they could do that in that situation, if Martin Luther King could love even the people who try to bomb his house, how much more 
are we called to go deep into our process of self-reflection and self-purification? So I tell you, take heart. My buddy Brian was right, it is a crazy world. But the kingdom of God is here among you as well. So push toward the greater prayer. Because our prayers, which join with the prayers of those around the world, have the power to transform our world and ourselves. Prayer is not just something that we do here on Sunday morning. Prayer is in every step of our lives. May it be so. Now, on my hike up that mountain, it wasn't easy. (laughs) It was a long ways up to that 14,000-foot peak. And I never really found the trail. But I was hiking over the boulder fields, growing short of breath as I got higher and higher into the thin air. My muscles ached. My knees hurt. My head started even spinning at times. It seemed like I was a lot closer to the sun than I was in the valley. But I was determined to get to the top of that mountain. Because I knew in my heart that the view from the top was going to be incredible. It was going to be worth it. So finally, after a lot of uh, hyperventilating, I made it to the top. And the view from the top of Mount Princeton is the most majestic thing I've ever seen. The mountains in the distance were like hills rolling off into the horizon, into forever. And I felt this profound sense up there of the beauty of the world and the connection between all things. With every step that I took up that mountain, the world around me started to look more and more like heaven. With every step that we take together in our prayer life, we bring more and more of heaven into our world. Take heart, Jesus is telling us, and be persistent in prayer. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at oursaviourmv.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.